You're listening to Travel Nursing and Allied Life, hosted by Travcon. Welcome to the Exhibitor Minute of the Travel Nursing and Allied podcast. I'm Michelle, your host, and with me this week is Diane Fogno of the Academy of Forensic Nursing. Thank you so much for joining us, Diane. Thank you, Michelle. And I just want to thank Travcon again for having us uh, this year in Las Vegas. Uh, They're a great partner um, that's with us at the Academy of Forensic Nursing. It was really nice to have you there this year. And I look forward to many years having you at the conference. It's certainly an area that is of interest to many nurses. And I think it's a great partnership that uh, I'd love to be able to help promote because you do so many you're so valuable in the medical world. It's it's really important that you're there. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that a lot, as well as all the forensic nurses. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So yeah. you represent the Academy of Forensic Nursing. Can you tell us a little bit about what the Academy does? Absolutely. So the Academy of Forensic Nursing is a multidisciplinary organization, and we're a membership organization. So that makes us a a little different. Um, Our members, um, obviously, are most of our members are nurses, but we do have uh, law enforcement officers. Um, We do have some attorneys um, and we do have some advocates, social workers. So it just depends upon um, the multidisciplinary uh, forensic lens that you want to look through. Uh, We're pretty open to all that because that's what it takes to make a great team. Fair enough. Do you have any, we also represent and have a lot of allied health occupations like physical therapy, occupational SLP. Do any of those play a role or can they play a role with AFN? Oh my goodness, absolutely. You know, the hot, hot topic right now um, across the United States with forensics, forensic nursing, is non-fatal strangulation. And within that is traumatic brain injury. And with that, we're gonna need oodles of occupational therapists to fill the roles of treatment and follow-up that that patient's gonna need afterwards. Um, So it is a brand new, um, if you will, uh, way to look at occupational therapy and physical therapy. Yeah, that's certainly a a bit of a surprise for me. I wouldn't have uh, thought that that was super important with their roles. So that is good to know. Uh, Can you give us a bit of an idea? I think many of us have in our heads the, uh, the crime scene investigation on TV and whatnot, but give us an idea of typically what forensic nurses and other uh, professionals do in the U S typically. Absolutely. So everyone knows CSI. I love that show, by the way, but that really isn't reality in how things work when there's been a crime committed. So for example, sexual assault or domestic violence, typically um, it becomes a reporting or a non-reporting case, depending upon the state you live in. So it's important for the forensic nurse Um, not only the forensic nurse, but the healthcare providers understand the laws in their state about reporting when there's been a crime committed. Um, And the evidence 
would be if they choose to get an exam, they would then come into the hospital or a standalone um, uh, clinic or child uh, advocacy center for that evidence collection. And evidence not only is the physical, taking the swabs, collecting the clothing, doing the photographs, but it's getting that history from the patient about the events that happened so that the uh, healthcare provider knows what to collect, how to collect it, and follow the chain of evidence to meet all the requirements should that case go to court. And that needs to be a SANE certified nurse. I think they said SANE, right, for the certification? Actually, that's not true. It is um, uh, two things here. Um, we're, we changed the language about what we're calling these nurses. And the reason for that is when you think about SANE, when you go in and say to a patient, maybe you have some uh, mental health issues, I'm the SANE nurse. <laughs> often, Fair they enough. Think, often they think, well, what am I in SANE? <laughs> So we're moving away from that terminology and calling them forensic nurses who may do a sexual assault exam. Fair enough. So, yeah, so that's kind of what that is. And typically that is the easiest avenue um, to get into um, because of the reporting and the time required with that exam. Okay. And how does one, if one wanted to do this or wanted to add to their repertoire and they want to add a, a, a forensic nurse certification, what's involved? How long does it take? Can they do it completely online? Great, great, great question. Um, the Academy um, and the Forensic Nursing Certification Board um, they just opened up their first certification this year, past year, in 2021. So you can now take, sit for that certification. And um, we split it up between the RN, who's an AD or BSN, and then the advanced practice, which is a, a nurse practitioner or an MSN or a PhD or a DMP nurse. So there's two levels to sit for that certification. And the, the reason for that is there's so much more um, when you see these patients other than just, um, and I don't mean this in a, a, a way that it's not important, but it wasn't just a sexual assault. There's many layers of complexity with this patient and what has happened to them. So that big umbrella uh, we call forensic nursing certification. And all um, nurses, whether you're sexual assault, domestic violence, toxicology, whatever kind of nurse you are, can fall under that umbrella. So the training or the education for that, typically um, you can go to our website, go afn.org. There's a tab over on the right that says certification. Just click on it download the uh, certification booklet, and you can see the requirements to sit for the test. And is there any requirements uh, for on-site uh, training uh, experience mm -hmm. to finish that off? Uh, some of it does have experience. 
And one would tend to think those with experience would do better on the test, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is an all um, online test. Okay. Yeah, so you can take it online. There is a monitor in the room with you when you're online um, so that uh, things are 100% accurate. Um, you don't have to go to a, a city. You don't have to go to a building. So that's the that's a real positive thing. And they do, if you don't pass the first time, you are allowed to take that test again. Good, good. Yeah. Yeah, the more people we can have certified for this, the better. Now, in the meantime, uh, I know that we haven't had a certified nurse in our hospital for quite a few years, and they're working on getting one back and getting them uh, up to speed. But what can an ER nurse or anybody else or somebody who's first come into contact with somebody who's had a sexual assault or even some sort of strangulation, any kind of sort of initial um, presentation, what is the best few things that we can do to preserve evidence, to, uh, to maintain protection of the patient? What, are, what would you give us a few tips for that? Probably the biggest tips are trauma-informed care for that patient, following what they want to do about this. Mm -hmm. um, because if we can't do that for them, they're going to get um, probably upset they will get more agitated and then they'll just walk out. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that we practice those principles of trauma-informed care with these patients, as well as all patients. Um, tips that will help them. Um, obviously, if there's bruising on them, uh, the nurse at the bedside, usually there's a camera in emergency room. You could take a couple pictures, load them up to the chart. Um, <clears throat> A lot of times police will be able to do that, but I often say to the nurses, nothing below the swimsuit. So if there's a suck mark on the breast area, law enforcement shouldn't be taking a picture of that, rather the medical or the healthcare provider should be doing that, okay? Um, I know that kits are available or police will bring the kits in to your emergency room. It's a matter of opening up the kit and reading the instructions. They're really not that long, okay? Um, understanding that um, two moistened swabs with sterile water um, can pretty much uh, collect a lot of stuff. And it's always based on the history that the patient has given you. So if there's licking, kissing, or sucking on the neck due to strangulation, uh, sexual assault, that's where you want to swab, right? So oh, interesting. And you can do that without being uh, certified or being a forensic nurse. Absolutely. You know, I would love to tell you that there's forensic nurses in every hospital in this United States, but there's not. We're a far cry from that. Right. So we count on those in the emergency room, the nurse at the bedside, who is gonna to have to collect a lot of this evidence, okay? It's just, it's that simple. You all have paper bags. You just drop one piece of clothing into one paper bag and then seal it up. Um, typically you could have packing tape there. If your back is against the wall, staple it. Um, the crime labs don't like staples, just remember that. So okay. do a little prep work before and maybe get a little box 
with some out of the out of the box things that you might need uh, for your hospital in this kind of situation. And typically, we don't have someone undress unless it's you know needed because to preserve uh, evidence. But if we need to, then we would put one piece of clothing in each separate paper bag. Correct. And a good rule of thumb for that is just think about the clothing. What is it that's important with this clothing? So if there's licking and kissing and sucking on the breast, it's the bra that's important. Of course, underwear on everyone would be important, but many people don't wear underwear anymore. So the first thing that goes to the uh, privates or the genital area would be something that we would wanna collect. Okay. Right. So I don't need their, um, their $100 coat, not necessary. I don't need their socks unless there's, unless there's evidence on it. Okay. So most of the time it's the underwear, underwear, underwear for the females because discharge runs down. The other important thing to know, oftentimes they'll bring their clothing into you in a plastic bag. So using those critical thinking skills you can then collect the clothing from the bag that you might need. Fair enough. Okay. Right. Just be sure and chart that the patient brought the clothing into you because when this case goes to court in a couple of years, you won't remember that. And it's not a question often on any uh, forensic forms. Okay. Where does one look to report this? Um, you are going to call the law enforcement agency in the county or the district where the crime occurred. Got it. Good. Okay. And yeah. if they're there, if they're there with you, let's say they're there in Tennessee and the crime occurred in Colorado, you are going to have to um, talk with your local law enforcement agency. Usually there is um, gratis that they'll do. They'll go ahead and get the kit from you and then they'll arrange with Colorado how best to transport that. So good communication with your law enforcement and in your emergency rooms, you see a lot of law enforcement. So it's really important to find out where the crime occurred because that will be the agency they need to report it to. Correct. Okay, that's really interesting. Thank you uh, and very helpful. Now, you are coming to TravCon this year. What are you speaking about this year? Um, well, there's going to be three of us there this year. Uh, I've kind of wrangled Dr. Kathleen Timpson to come and talk a little bit about elder abuse. Uh, that certainly is a crime that is uh, very underrecognized in emergency rooms. Uh, here across the United States. So I said, thought that would be good for everyone just to kind of hear that. And then uh, Val Sievers and I will be talking about, there's a little <clears throat> forensics. Let me just make sure I'm getting it right. In every nurse's practice is a little forensic nursing. So we thought we would go over the history of forensic nursing and the forensic lens that we as nurses have to put on when we go in to see these patients, different areas of practice, uh, some case examples, home health, correctional, um, ICUs, NICUs, uh, gunshot wounds, motor vehicles, 
accidents, stabbings. And you can see there that with some of this stuff, it's pretty traumatic. In other words, this is gonna be like a level one trauma center. And they're gonna use all those uh, services, whether it's occupational therapy um, or physical therapy. That's how they, eventually they'll have to get out the door like that. Um, very obvious, pediatrics, et cetera. We'll talk a little bit about trafficking, uh, non-fatal strangulation, of course, mandated reporting. Um, <clears throat> we'll give some examples of those. And then we'll finish with the generalist uh, certification. Wow, that sounds really interesting, Diana. I'm looking forward to that, that presentation. That's great. Thank you. Now, you'll be able to find Diana and Val at, the, at TravCon this year. They're going to be out in the Paris foyer uh, area. That's where a lot of our educational booths are. So you can look forward to seeing them following up with any further questions. In the meantime, I'll put the website in the notes down below and you can check them out online. And remember that the certification you can do online. So quite convenient. And it's super, super helpful to have as many forensic trained nurses as we can. Absolutely. Diane, is there anything else you want to add uh, on this session? Um, they certainly feel free to contact me. I may not get back with you the same day, but I will try to get back with you. It's been a pleasure and thank you so much. That's great. Thank you so much, Diana. And this is the end of the Exhibitor Minute for TravCon. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Travel Nursing and Allied Life. You can find the full show notes below or at travcon.org. Please help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.